And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I am Andy Bitter, your Virginia Tech football beat writer, coming to you with another edition of Atlantic and Coastal. It's finally happened. The Coastal Division has infected the Atlantic Division with its chaos agent. Everything is up for grabs in the Atlantic Division all of a sudden. And it's great. This is uh, the perfect opportunity for us to talk about all these teams that we don't normally talk about. It seems like Clemson and Florida State have sort of hung over the Atlantic Division for so long. There's some other teams that we finally get to give some attention to, and this is the perfect time to do it. To sort through this craziness, this wide-open ACC we welcome to the podcast Roddy Jones, ACC network analyst, former running back at Georgia Tech. I've seen him at games all the time. He had the Virginia Tech Richmond game the other day, which uh, apologies for that. That was a snoozer of a game <laughs> to have to, to cover. But thank you for coming on the podcast. It's my pleasure. And anytime we get a chance to go up to Blacksburg, it's fun. Um, that game was not exactly what we expected, but at least it was it was close. So it was you know. interesting. I'll say yeah. that. I don't feel like it the was score ever like, was close. Right. It was it never, was never in like, doubt, the score never like upset watch. You never like, oh, the right. spiders are going to open it up here. But it was just I don't know. Honestly, though, here's the thing. I didn't say this during the air, but we did the Florida State Jacksonville State game. And it's kind of how it felt in that game too. like Jacksonville State never really looked like a big threat, but they just chipped brought it to seven late at the end so we're i am i'm glad for this conference that that and virginia tech did not get there but it it was a similar feel at some point during that game yeah i think maybe if richmond had its quarterback maybe that could have been more yes, interesting agreed, agreed. all right that's not the game we want to talk about though virginia tech richmond was not the highlight last week i i do want to start with this this is shaping up to be the weirdest ac season since when i mean 2009 when yeah. your team beats Clemson, no, nobody was in the top uh, 10 in that game. Uh, Georgia Tech beating Clemson in the title game. 2008, everybody had three losses yep. in the league. 2006, when Wake Forest and Georgia Tech played, no, neither of them were in the uh, the preseason top 25. I mean, this, this has been a while since we have had an ACC this wide open. It really has. And, and, it's, and it's thanks to three teams, really. And I, I think that's what people sort of lose track of, like, we were always a Clemson injury or a Clemson down year from this. Like we, for the past three or four years, we've been flirting with, with this outside of Clemson. Uh, but because of Virginia Tech's excellence in the late aughts and the early teens, uh, and then Florida State's excellence and then, and then Clemson's excellence, we've always had this top, a top 10 team in the championship game. And it's felt like you've always had a team that's at least in the conversation. It was funny. It's funny you said that, Andy, because I was thinking earlier this week about how the league was the year that my Georgia Tech team won the ACC. We were the conference's hope after beating Virginia Tech. We were the conference's hope 
at, at being a national power. We dropped the last game to Georgia or else we probably are a top five team going in the ACC championship game. We had had an earlier loss to Miami, so clearly we were not a perfect team. But but yeah, that's kind of what this year feels like. And who that type team is going to be is a big question mark. Could it be a Boston College, a Wake Forest? Can NC State get back up in there? Uh, heck, maybe it's Clemson still. We don't know. So yeah, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. This is fun. I mean, this is what we have all been waiting for in this league. I, I feel like uh, for all the teams in the Atlantic Division, this is like winter has ended, right? like yeah. a Game of Thrones. <laughs> Summer like is here. They're waiting for like this 40 year winter to end. <laughs> the long winter is over. The last time Clemson and Florida State had more than two league losses, both of them was in 2011. And that's when sort of Clemson took the baton and Florida State won a couple of years. And then Clemson ran with it from there. The last time Clemson or Florida State didn't win the Atlantic was 2008. Yeah. Wow. It's been a while. So it's been yes. a while. You go back to Boston College and uh, Jeff Jagodinsky in his second year there winning back-to-back titles. But, Let's but turn that, to the that oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. That 2011 season, like thinking about that Florida State team and that Clemson team, it just felt different because you knew Clemson was building. Like Clemson had been a top five team during that season, lost to NC State and Georgia Tech in back-to-back games. Uh, I believe it was back-to-back games, but lost to both of those teams uh, at that time. But they had Taj Boyd and Sammy Watkins and New Hopkins, these dudes that you knew were really good players in that they were building something, like they were gaining momentum. And then the Florida State team, I believe that was an EJ Manuel-led team. That was a 10-win team. Like that was a, a pretty good team that they, that, that, that they rolled out there that just wasn't quite national championship power. But you felt like it was a race between those two teams to get to prominence. This one has a little bit of a different feel. So I don't know, man. Yeah, that 2011 season, sort of Virginia Tech passing the baton. That was the last really good Virginia Tech season outside of 2016 when they popped up there. The biggest win this week, and uh, I got to start with this one because I've been dogging NC State all the time, and I always say they don't play anybody. When they do play somebody, they lose to them, and Dave Doran sort of has a ceiling around eight or nine wins. I have to give the Wolfpack some kudos here. Beat Clemson 27 to 21 double overtime. They finally get over the hump in this game, even though the kicker really tried to give it away. Tried really hard. Uh, miss a 39 yard field goal at the end. And I'm sure every Wolfpack fan is going, here we go again. I mean, how many times? I mean, how many times against Clemson has that happened? <laughs> I mean, this is a pretty famous moment in the Clemson NC State rivalry to miss that. And then they fall apart. So credit to the Wolfpack for coming back. And winning this game in overtime, I have to ask you: If you're sitting there watching that game that's happening, they missed that field goal in regulation. Do you give NC State any chance of pulling that game out in overtime at that point? None, no, absolutely not. And and, and I'm sitting in an airport in Charlotte with people all around. NC State gets the ball second in overtime. Clemson had already scored a touchdown, kicked the extra point. When NC State scores, I'm like, go for two. You go for because this is how this game has gone. Like you have missed three field goals now, two of them over 50 yards, but the one to end the game, go for two, end it on your terms, and do not go to another overtime. They don't. And I'm like, that's it. That's it. Like NC State's done again. Um, and, and they end up pulling it out at the end. And look, all of the criticism that you talked about with NC State is warranted. They did not play anybody. When they did play people, they did lose, but it's starting to change, or at least this is a win that signals that it might be changing. So you got to give credit to NC State. I thought the plan that they had was excellent during the game. Clemson's injuries obviously hurt. And when's the last time you saw a Clemson team 
that got the momentum that they did with DJ Uyunglele's run down the field with the, the big Justin Ross touchdown. And, and like those were the moments that typical Clemson teams, even if they're struggling, it gets them going. They pop another big play. They get they capitalize on that. This team didn't do it. Look at the, the drive summaries. The number of times they were four plays or less on drives. So you're going three and out or you're getting one first down and then going three and out. It's amazing, man. So I give all credit to NC State. That Clemson team is really struggling, though. Dave Doran, first top 10 win he's had, and he enjoyed it, it looked like. Afterwards, there's a picture of him smoking the cigar. He's got the red solo cup. He said this. He said, the curse is broken, NC State fans. Finally. I don't know much about curses, but I knew the, I do know this. It's best not to, like tempt fate with curses true. if you come out and say the curse is broken you are basically asking for your team to lose the next game and they're 19 and a half point favorites against louisiana tech this week uh looking at this team this nc state team pretty good quarterback in devin leary we saw signs of it last year before he got hurt he had four touchdowns uh acc quarterback of the week this week uh i'm at uh, the wide receivers that is a big threat. They got good running backs. They've got a solid offensive line. I know they're down Peyton Wilson on that defense and they have some other injuries there. They still got it done and performed really well. How well-rounded of a team is this for NC state? Do you give them much of a chance in the Atlantic right now? Yeah, I give them a great chance in the Atlantic. The issue, my issue with NC state, and this has kind of been the issue with NC state through the years, it's consistency how do they handle this type of success and can they be consistent now going forward? Cause there's some really good teams on their schedule. Uh, they obviously play North Carolina from the other side and talk about a team with no consistency, North Carolina. And so depending on what North Carolina team shows up, like that could be tough. Syracuse is running the hell out of the ball. Boston college, you go up to chestnut Hill, they're playing well. That game is in a few weeks. So, so there's some tricky spots, and they're going to have to play consistent. You can't have another Mississippi State performance, a performance where, to be honest, they, it's hard to say this with the way the game ended, but they should have won the Mississippi State game. All you have to do is, number one, not give up a kickoff return for touchdown on the first play of the game. That's yeah, that hurts. Typically, that's typically <laughs> advised. But if as long, even with that, if they go down and they capitalize on the first couple of drives, that game is completely different. Ricky Person throws the interception in the end zone on the attempted quarter uh, – uh, running back pass they miss a field another missed field goal when they drove down so that could have been a 10-7 game while that defense was kind of hanging in there against Mississippi State that just took the life out of them so uh, I I it's not an NC State team that I look at and I say they don't have another loss on their schedule I think looking at that NC State team there's another loss out there somewhere I don't know where it is if I had to guess it's probably Wake Forest but it's not a team that's going to run the table the rest of the way. It is a very good team, though, on both sides of the ball. I think that falls under what Joe Giglio uh, calls the law of the wolf. Like yeah, whenever yeah. you expect <laughs> them exactly. to exceed expectations, they, they underwhelm and, and exactly. vice versa. I would say don't sleep on, on Louisiana Tech this week, especially if you have a bye week after that. Boston College, a big game after that. You don't want to be looking ahead at that yeah. point coming off a big win. Louisiana Tech's a bad football team, but they have been bad in the past and gotten teams like Miami. They gave so. Mississippi State a game. They went also down to the very end. A bad football team. A bad football team that beat NC State. State. I want to talk about Clemson here because we haven't seen Clemson like this in a long time. Uh, this team is out of the playoff race now with two losses. I would assume a two-loss team has never made uh, the playoff at this point. Yeah, I agree. Uh, really tough to make it back from this spot. This is such a weird spot to be for this team because the offense is such a wreck. 121st nationally last in the ACC. 
I think we kind of thought that losing Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, you go, yeah, you're going to lose a little bit there, but we wouldn't expect this because DJ Uyunglele threw for what, 500 yards or whatever it was against Notre Dame last year. Uh, I mean, you thought he would just take the reins and go and this offense would be fine. And all of a sudden the offense uh, just can't do anything. Uh, the defense injuries are mountain, mounting. Brian Brissy, torn ACL. Tyler Davis was already out. James Skalski had a shoulder injury. Sounds like he'll be back. And, and now on offense, Will Shipley has a leg injury too. He's going to be out for a couple of weeks. Uh, what do we make of this Clemson team right now? And uh, is, is this really going to put Dabo's coaching chops to the test here? Yes, to that second part, it is. This is, first off, Clemson's injuries the past two seasons have really mounted, and, and maybe that's sort of the normalization of, of just football injuries. It seemed like they had such injury luck through that five-year run or however long from, from Deshaun through Trevor. They, they really didn't have that many injuries, especially significant ones to big-time players, um, with the exception of like a Mike Williams who got hurt uh, with, in a freak injury. And I don't even know if that was Deshaun's year. I think it was Deshaun's second year. You had a, the injury to Justin Ross, but, but like during the year, guys that you expected to contribute, they've had very few. And so maybe you've sort of seen that normalize. The injuries to me are, are big defensively, and they're, they're made worse by the fact that the offense is struggling so bad. So even if the offense gets to average, that defense is worse now than it was the past the, the, the first four weeks of the year. You don't lose Brian Brzee and Tyler Davis and be better. You don't lose James Skalski for any extended period of time. And, and like you said, it looks like he'll be back. Those types of injuries, if it was indeed a stinger, those tend to be recurring, to be right. honest with you, once you once they start to recur. Like if it's a one-off, but this is not a one-off. Let's not forget Landon Zanders, a guy they lost in the first game who was a starting safety for him last year. Did not start that Georgia game, but, but was expected to be a big contributor, also not playing. Uh, so from a depth standpoint, yeah, they're talented, but they're going to roll in young and experienced guys who are talented, but are going to make mistakes. So, so those, those issues are, are big ones. Uh, offensively, I think there's a bunch going on. You mentioned missing Trevor and Travis. I think that's certainly part of it because those were the guys that would make the plays. If you remember when in the Ohio state game, when, when, uh, when, when they're struggling down the stretch, can't move the ball. T. Higgins is out of the game. Trevor Lawrence makes a play with his feet. In, in the Alabama game a few years ago, uh, when they're struggling offensively, it's Travis Etienne that makes a play with his feet on that. On, uh, actually, I think it was against, it was against Ohio State um, uh, a few years ago as well. Makes a play with his feet where he cuts back, and, and it's a great individual play. They don't have that right now on that offense. And, and I've been on teams where you lose significant production. Guys just had a knack for making plays. And you're kind of all looking around like, all right, who's that guy going to be? And and the, you you can't find it because everybody's expecting someone else to make the play. So I think there's a lack of confidence on that offense right now. I think the offensive line is struggling. I think from a quarterback standpoint, DJ Uyunglele's fundamentals are off. And all of that combined. And then I don't think they have a receiver that's what they've had in the past, like a T. Higgins uh, a Mike Williams that's just like throw it up to him and they're going to go get it. A Sammy Watkins, a New Hopkins. They don't have that right now. I mean, Justin Ross at the end of that game, they throw a fade to him and he doesn't even extend his arms for the ball. Like maybe he lost it, but when's the last time you saw a Clemson receiver in a big spot, like lose the football like that. And I know it's just one play, but, but I think that's sort of indicative of kind of how this offense has been this year. 
Welcome to the rest of college football. Correct. Yeah. They've lived in this bubble where they haven't had these issues for close to a decade. Uh, it feels like, and all these other teams are like, yeah, this happens. This is right. what happens every now and then you don't just have this seamless transition uh, from, from year to year. Right now, there are two unbeaten teams in the ACC. I want to turn attention to those uh, two squads here. Start with Wake Forest. Uh, beat UVA last week, 37 to 13. I watched that whole game just because I have an interest in it here in the Commonwealth and because it was on a Friday night and they allow you to watch games like that on a Friday <laughs> night. I, I love those Friday night games. I was against them at first, but now I'm like, man, I get to watch this whole game. And when I'm covering a game, I have all of Saturday then to be able to, and it, and to it's watch it. And it's great games. for the league because you have the stage all to yourself. Yeah, I know the coaches hate it because of recruiting and visits and all that stuff, but yeah, just deal with it. It's, it's one game a year. About <laughs> Wake Forest looks like such a well-coached team. Yep. You watch them out there. I mean, I know everybody moves the ball on UVA this year, but still, Sam Hartman, Christian Beal Smith at running back. They've got that slow mesh that they do. Ja'Cory Robinson, A.T. Perry. I mean, there's just so many parts of this team, and it looked like such a well-oiled machine on offense in that game. I have to come away impressed, but what impressed me the most about – Wake Forest so far is this defense and it's yeah. looked pretty sharp and did not give up a ton, obviously points to a, a pretty good quarterback and Brennan Armstrong, 15 sacks this year so far for that side of the ball, 14.3 uh, points per game. This just seems like a very well-coached, well-rounded team that nobody ever talks about with Wake Forest. And they're just sort of sneaking up on people. And I look at the schedule, they could be undefeated pretty far into the season if they keep this up. Yeah, they have been incredibly impressive. And defensively, I think it has surprised people the most, me included. Um, but you knew that it was a possibility because they have been so banged up on defense the past really two seasons. Last year, they lose Nasir Greer early in the season. They lose Luke Masterson really for the second year in a row. Remember uh, a couple of years ago, they, lo they lose Justin Sternad, their, their excellent middle linebacker from a defense that was supposed to be pretty good. Boogie Basham had some issues last year where he was in and out of the lineup. So, so they've just been banged up. And that is going to be a question going forward. Like Wake Forest has been one of those teams that as you go through the season has lost players due to injury for whatever reason. I'm not insinuating why. It's just a thing that's happened over the past few seasons. Um, so, so that will be a question going forward, but I think Luke Masterson is such a good player and he's so versatile for them. You can play him in space. You can play him in the box. They had him spy Brendan Armstrong, a decent amount during that game against UVA. And he was excellent at that. Um, so I, I just think he allows them to do a lot. That defensive line is pretty deep. They roll a lot of guys and they are talented. They've gotten some, some help, uh, in a number of places, uh, through through either transfers or just growing guys up, and then on offense, Dave Clawson's had a very specific, uh, very specific recipe for how he was going to run this program. He was going to get old and stay old at the positions that it's hard to recruit to at Wake Forest, offensive line in particular. You have to develop those guys, and the only way you do it is to redshirt every single offensive lineman that comes into that program, almost without exception. Since the time he has walked in the door. Every single offensive lineman has redshirted, sat two years, and then played as a redshirt sophomore that's eventually gotten in the starting lineup. You've had the occasional redshirt freshman start, but again, redshirt. So, so they get old and they stay old on the offensive line. He's excellent coaching his quarterbacks, and, and the receivers are always competitive and running backs, always competitive. 
um, and they do a great job of identifying what they do. So, so th- it is such a well-coached organization, not just the team, the entire organization from top to bottom has a clear vision on what the goal is and how to, how to achieve success. And a year like this one where you get super seniors back helps Wake Forest almost more than anybody in the league because of how, it's, in, it's how their entire program is set up there in Winston-Salem. Let's give a quick shout out to Nick Skiba too. Uh, quite yeah, a weapon. Abs- they yes. hit quite a weapon. They have a kicker. It's the only, for, it's the only kicker shout out we're giving today. For a team like that, uh, to have that sort of in your back pocket, that's really good. How underrated is Dave Clawson as a coach? Because I feel like whenever we talk about him, I always am mentioning how he's underrated. So if we're constantly saying somebody is underrated, can they be underrated? Uh, amongst ACC people, Dave Clawson is slightly underrated because like we say he's underrated and yet when the top coaches in the league come out we never consider him for like the top two it's 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 Dabo and it's Mac or it's Dabo and it's you know whoever the hot coaches at that time and then we get into like the Clausens and you know Dave Cutcliffe potentially and you know different different people kind of cycle through uh I don't know why we don't talk about him as one of the best two coaches maybe the best coach in the league because of the resources that that place has, it's the smallest power five school in the country. Like it, it is a tiny private school in a pretty decent, uh, a pretty decent recruiting area. Like the Charlotte area is a good recruiting area, but it's not like they're the draw. You know, they're not there. How many kids growing up and within an hour of Wake Forest are growing up with a Wake Forest pacifier in their mouth? Like it, it just doesn't happen. So, so to be able to go and identify and maintain the success that he's had, I think it's been really impressive. Wake Forest, seven-point favorite against Louisville this week. Uh, any concern there against, against the Cardinals? Those have been some crazy games, if I remember, uh, yeah. in recent years. And I don't know what to make yeah. of Louisville because they're, they essentially almost got a walk-off pick six against UCF, a game that they were clearly going to lose. And then all of a sudden they're unbelievable. They win that game. Then they go down to Florida state and they beat Florida state, but I think the Seminoles stink. So I, I don't put too much stock in a victory like that. Um, I don't know. I feel like wake forest should have an easy time in this one, but I can never tell in this matchup. Uh, I can't either. And, and the, the, the year that was the craziest was the year that wake forest turned the ball over. I can't remember how many times, they allowed two, one kickoff return for a touchdown, Hassan Hall, and then another one down to like the 20 that set up two Louisville touchdowns. It was the uh, the week that the backup quarterback uh, for Louisville had to play. Evan Cohen, was that his name? I can't remember. But, you would know but, better than I do. You've got yeah, a I can't photographic remember. memory here. I'm impressed. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think I got that wrong, though. So so maybe not quite as photographic. We'll look it up. Uh, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> Evan Conley. Evan Conley. Got there it. You go. yes. There you go. Um, so so uh, when, when that they were some crazy games and they tend to be high scoring, this is a better, this is the best Wake Forest defense that Louisville's faced since they've been in the league. Um, it, it may be the best Wake Forest defense that, that Dave Clawson has had there uh, without knowing the stats off the top of my head. But I think I give the, 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 the benefit of the doubt to Wake Forest because they have been disruptive on the defensive front, and that's how you beat Louisville. You're disruptive on that outside zone. They've gone to a little bit more inside zone, so they don't take as many uh, negative plays because they're not as explosive. But if you're able to, to throw Louisville off schedule on first and second down, they have a tough time. And with what Wake was able to do to Virginia, I think that Virginia offense is really good. They can't run the ball, but they're still really good. 
Wake was able to contain them. So as long as they don't turn the don't turn the ball over, which Wake has been great at that in the Clawson era, I think they should be fine against Louisville. Well, there's one other four and team in the ACC right now, Boston College, as we all expected before the year, Boston College, Wake Forest, the two unbeaten teams, a uh, third of the way through the season, uh, beat Missouri 41 to 34 in overtime. Uh, Missouri's not a great SEC team, but I'm yeah. never going to scoff at a win over the SEC for the ACC. You got to take those when you can get them. They nearly handed this game away, but Missouri kicked a 56 yard field goal to send it to overtime. Then BC wins in the extra session there. Uh, I don't know what to make of this Eagles team without Dracovic, because I think that uh, with him, that could have been a really special group. It could have been a very interesting team. I don't know if Dennis Grizel quite brings that there, but BC looked good the other day, played uh, pretty strong in the running game, 275 yards. Pat Garwa, the third with 175 yards rushing there. Uh, they've got the third ranked defense in the ACC right now. And I know that's Jeff Halfley's side of the ball. I, they've played, they've only played one real team in that so far. So yeah. I don't know how much stock they put into that side, but what are we thinking of Boston college so far? Cause you know, four, no is four. No, I mean, you play the games that are on the schedule and they've won all of them. I, I think that, um, there's, there's two sides. I've been, I've been a little timid on pulling the trigger on being all in on Boston college. Um, because with, with early in the year, I didn't think they could, they could run the ball. Now that they've run the ball, um, to, and look, Andy, like <laughs> I want to do this without, without taking away from, from the win over Missouri. So I'm going to try to, okay. uh, for, for, for context, like we, Boston college has played the three teams they played Colgate, Holy cross and temple, all of whom are bad football teams. And then Missouri, who is a decent team, but that's like a six and six team that's going to finish fourth in the SEC East. So, right. so like for for content and and by the way, a team that is the second worst team in the country at stopping the run. So while Boston College went out there and they did it against a team that, from a talent perspective and an overall perspective, like is at least their equal, that is impressive. Uh, this will be their biggest test in terms of what Dennis Grossell is and what this offense is. And I think we will learn what they are this week because Missouri was so bad stopping the run and has been go, go and look at their games prior. Like they, they got run all over by Kentucky in that game too. And again, Kentucky decent running team, but they were so bad against the run that Zay flowers was able to, to survive and eat, um, it, when in one-on-one matchups down the field uh at least enough for Dennis Grossell to 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 win it in overtime but against Clemson are you going to be able to do that same thing and if the answer is yes then heck let's go like I'm all in on Missouri uh, excuse me on, on Boston College but I think this is the one where I'm gonna learn the most because running the ball well against Missouri gets you to the point where I'm like okay maybe you can still run the ball if you run the ball poorly against Missouri then you can't run the ball, but this is going to be the biggest test. I like the makeup of this team, though, from a mental standpoint, from a standpoint, and from like an overall. They 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 have Jeff Halfley's personality, where it's like put the ball down, play. We're going to give you sixty minutes of hell and see how we come out on the other end. So I do like that, and the offensive line is playing much better than they did a year ago. Yeah, this you look at that Mizzou game. That feels like a game they would have lost a couple years ago uh, yeah, in, the, in the Adazio era where, you know, you're losing to Kansas in the non-conference game just yeah. randomly. And yeah. you know, they won this game. They, it was close, but they won that game. I'm looking at this Clemson matchup this week. Clemson is 16 point favorites in this game. Clemson has not scored 16 regulation points <laughs> right. 
against an FBS team <laughs> this year. That was my question when I saw Vegas is okay. so much smarter than this. They have billions and billions of dollars invested in this. So I, again, I'm not going to question it, but I, I look at it, I go 16 points. That seems like a mountain of points in a game that I know, you know, there was a Trevor Lawrence injury last year and Dracovic played in that game. So it's completely different uh, teams, but BC kept it close last year uh, down there in Clemson. Uh, it seems like this will be closer than 16 points, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, look, it, <laughs> I don't have faith that Clemson's going to put up 30. So, so like, if Clemson puts up 25, can Boston College get to 10? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. So, so no, I, I think it is much closer than 16. Um, now, that defense is, is really good, and the thing that you can't anticipate is a defensive touchdown. Dennis Grossell has thrown the ball to the other team in his career, including the first play of the game or his first throw of the game a week ago. So, so you can't really account for that. But, no, I think this is a closer game than 16. And, look, if, if Clemson doesn't figure out something on offense – this Boston College team has the type of moxie that that might be able to pull off an upset. I'm going to which at this point I'm not sure would be a giant upset to be honest with you. Not too much. Now I'm going to assume that you had Clemson like everybody else did as the preseason pick in the Atlantic Division. Four weeks in, who's your favorite? Who's your favorite on the Atlantic oh, side right now? I we've gotten this question so much. Uh, to me, it's Wake Forest, mainly because it's the team that I've been the highest on the whole time. I, I thought NC State would be the second best team in the division based on where they were and based on what I saw from that Wake Forest defense a year ago. Wake Forest defense has been much better, and NC State has shown that it 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 is not going to be consistent enough to beat the teams that it should be. Losing Mississippi State is somewhat unexcusable in, in my mind. So. So uh, Wake Forest is the favorite right now in the division for me. Yeah, I think I'm with you too. Uh, taking Wake is the team I would point to there. Let's flip over to the Coastal, uh, to your Georgia Tech here. Uh, Got to give some props here to Georgia Tech. I, that's another team I have sort of bashed on this podcast before. Yep. Uh, not only beats North Carolina 45 to 22, they beat them down. I mean, that yep. was not a close game. They ran for 261 yards in that game, held UNC to 63 yards rushing, forced three turnovers. And this is the defensive stats here. 13 tackles for a loss and eight sacks yeah. in that game. Uh, great win for the Yellow Jackets. That's one, a game that they played in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, you know, the one game that they move over there a year. Uh, I'm sure it was a great atmosphere. Uh, how badly did Jeff Collins need a game like this to to show that this program was making progress very badly, especially after losing to Northern Illinois to start the year. Like that this was brutal. Was, that was, it brutal. was terrible. Northern Illinois is a winless Mac team a year ago. And, and by the way, I'm not sure they've won against it. They'd be Bowling Green last week. Who's maybe the worst team in FBS. Hey, Bowling Green, the fighting Scott Lefflers just beat Minnesota as 31 oh, yeah, point also, underdogs good, last week with point. less than less than 200 yards of about offense, that. the most yeah, Leffler yeah, upset that. in the history of football. It's all, like we're seeing that a lot. Iowa has won a game earlier this year against Iowa State with less than 200 yards offense. Like what world are we living in when the Big 12 is playing defensive struggles and, and Iowa is the number five team? In the that country? is hearkening back to the old school Virginia Tech days of when you just, yeah. you know, Bud Foster just shut them down and the offense had to do the bare minimum to get by. But point. Georgia Tech continue. Yes. So, so, so Georgia attack um uh, after losing that northern illinois game jeff collins needed an upset over the course of the year to prove that this as a proof of concept win 
And while North Carolina, I think we're going to see is inconsistent. If you listen to Mac Brown, just watch how people are talking about them the week prior. And that's how they're going to play. Because after the Virginia Tech game, he mentioned that everybody was talking great about us all offseason and we played like it. And then after the Georgia Tech performance at halftime, he's like, well, everybody's talking great about the offense. They're terrible. Everybody's talking terrible about the defense and they've been good. So so, so I think North Carolina is going to have that sort of inconsistency. But Georgia Tech defensively has looked sharper for two straight weeks. They have thrown something at the opposing team where coaches have come out and said they threw stuff at us that we were not expecting. So Jeff Collins and Andrew Thacker have done a really nice job with that defense. And offensively, they have struggled. Jameer Gibbs hasn't really gotten going yet this year, but you saw sparks with Jeff Sims coming into the game. And I think you saw what Jeff Sims needs to be. He needs to be a guy that runs the ball about 10 to 12 times a game and throws it about 20 to 25. So if they can live in that scenario and the, you rely on the defense to be stingy and not give up big amounts of points and you rely on the offense to to not turn the ball over, number one, which is something that they have not done this year. They've done a good job of taking care of the football. And number two, you get some big plays in the run game from either Gibbs or Sims. Uh, they've been able to run the football with those running backs who are really good. Then I think Georgia Tech has a recipe to be a pretty decent team. And, and if they play like they did against Carolina defensively and Clemson the week before, if that continues, then maybe they're better than decent. I don't want to be prisoner of the moment, but that's two straight weeks of some really good defensive performances. Yeah, that defense uh, stepping up big time. The offense coming around, uh, obviously. I mean, Jeff Sims gets hurt in that opener, and all of a sudden Yates has to go in there. That probably contributed uh, to them playing so poorly and losing that game to Northern Illinois. Uh, Sims in this game, 240 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, that's, that's a huge yeah. difference in that. I, I just think that program, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for them to show signs. And you give Collins so much leash because of the roster turnover that you have to do going from an option offense to whatever he's putting in after that. And this seems like it was the first sign, like, okay, there might be something there. You thought it was last year against uh, Louisville or Florida State earlier in the year. Uh, you know, Florida State turns out to be fool's gold in a game like that. And then yeah. uh, after the Louisville game, they just were not very competitive in a lot of games. So it'd be interesting to see if they build off this win. Uh, and they got a, they got a man up this week because this is a tough game coming up against Pitt at home. Yeah. The Panthers are three and a half point favorites. And Pitt is putting up crazy points. Uh, even in that loss to Western Michigan, they scored 41 or something like 40, that. Had yeah, 77 last week against an yeah. FCS team. Uh, I, I, you can never tell what to make of Pitt. <laughs> Whenever you think Pitt is going to be good, I, I even said it before the West Michigan game after they beat Tennessee. I'm like, Pitt's legit. And that was part of the, the headline on the podcast. And then you go out and lose to Western Michigan. Go, man, th that's what I get for putting faith in Pitt. My colleague, Andy Stables, had to eat a big spoonful of mayonnaise because he bet on Pitt one time as, as a, a bet to, to lose. And he, he learned never bet on the Panthers here, but they look pretty good. And if that offense can come around, Pat Narduzzi always has a pretty good defense on the field. I think this one could be a, a very uh, interesting matchup and telling us maybe which one of these teams uh, could be in there in the Coastal Division coming up. I completely agree with you. And this year, the question for me is more about Pitt defensively because the the three F that, well, UMass technically is an FBS team, but we're going to put them in the other category. The two FBS they're, teams. They're FBS light. They're like. Right, right, right. The exactly. FCS, the I'm not FBS. sure New Hampshire is not better than, than, than UMass. Probably. They so, were ranked. They were ranked in the FCS. Exactly. So, so the, the two FBS teams that, that are that are 
programs that are somewhat established. They gave up 34 points to Tennessee in a game where Joe Milton missed about 8,000 receivers deep that probably could have gotten pit beat. And they gave up 44 points in that 44-41 loss to Western Michigan. So defensively, where is this pit team? They have not been able to create the pressure that they did a year ago with Rashad Weaver and Patrick Jones. So it's going to be a big test for them. Offensively, Kenny Pickett's been fantastic. And Kenny Pickett was a guy that came back to raise his draft stock. And I think you're seeing a Kyle Trask, you know, Mac Jones type of ascent so far through a month of the season for Kenny Pickett in terms of how he's played. He was a guy that had an invite to the Senior Bowl. I think a lot of what he's done this year uh, or a lot of, of of why the narrative is changing this year is because his touchdown numbers are up. He threw for 13 touchdown passes a year ago, and the year before that, it, it was it was not many more. I think it was less, actually. So his touchdown passes haven't been there when maybe the yards and some other stuff have. He's already surpassed that going into October. So I, I really like the way Kenny Pickett's playing. I think that offense has been pretty good all year. Uh, and will continue to be. I am. Uh, I have this game this weekend. I am really excited about it because I think it's going to be a fantastic game. And these two teams, with the exception of the past two years, have played a lot of close games uh, over the years. I feel like as a Virginia Tech reporter, I've got the full Kenny Pickett experience. Yeah. Uh, he started four games against the Hokies so far. It will be five games coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, and the two games in Heinz Field, he was just lights out. And yeah. like look like Dan Marino when he's out there. And then the the game in uh, Lane Stadium a couple years ago, they got shut out. <laughs> I don't think they had like 200 yards of offense in that you game. So had, that's the, you have had full Kenny Pickett. That is the full Kenny Pickett experience. I want to quickly uh, just kind of run through the other games on the schedule here this week. UVA at Miami, Thursday night game. The Hurricanes yeah. are four-point favorites in this game. Uh, Virginia has no defense. This feels Correct. contrary to its DNA. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall is a defensive guy, and for some reason, they can't stop anybody. It was something ridiculous, like 19 straight drives. They gave up points on 18 of them, and like 12 of them were touchdowns, 14, something ridiculous number. Uh, I don't know if Miami's in much better shape. Uh, you know, they, they beat up on an FCS team last week. We don't know yet, I think, if Derek King is going to play in this game. Uh, this is two teams maybe stumbling a little bit coming into this one. How do we break this one down? Well, I've got this game, too, on Thursday night. Busy um, man. Look at this. Yeah, well, They're flying jet setting around the country this weekend. Yeah, I wish I wish it was as uh, luxurious as it sounds when you say that. Um, but I, I am I am excited to see where Miami is against a bad defense in Virginia, a, de- a defense that against North Carolina and against Wake Forest was really run around. Now, Wake Forest is one of the best offenses in the conference, and my, and when you get that version of North Carolina, they are one of the best offenses in the con- in the conference as well. So, like, anytime you play North Carolina this year, I think you have to consider which version you're getting. If you get that version of North Carolina and you beat them, then that's really, really good. Uh, but But the version that Georgia Tech got was sort of a lesser version, in my opinion. So can Miami move the ball consistently? Because this offense has been like super average. That's a, that's probably the best description I can give you for Miami on offense. Just very average. And really over the past two seasons, with the exception of some big plays, has been very average. Um, and then on defense, can Miami tackle? Because against Michigan State, it was a brutal tackling performance. Virginia's got a lot of guys that when they get in space can do damage with the ball. Brendan Armstrong is leading the free world in passing right now. He has done an excellent job this year. His accuracy has been great. He's been using his legs. 
Um, we'll see about their health. I think Jelani Woods left the game last week with a little bit of a knee late. I have not seen an update on him. Dear That'd be King a big loss too. Would I mean, be that, that guy's yeah, literally a weapon on that team. Yes. Yeah. Derek King, we'll see if he plays. But Tyler Van Dyke and Jake Garcia, they're excited about the two two young uh, backup quarterbacks. So um, it, there's a lot of unknowns going into the game, but I can't see this game being a blowout on either side. I think it's going to be close. It should be an interesting one. Uh, love the Thursday night games, too. Love to get a game early in the week before you get to yeah. the weekend. Uh, kind of starts things off right. Syracuse at Florida State. I look. I had. I just had to look this up as I was talking here. Florida State is four and a half point favorites in this game. How how crazy is that? How should the Seminoles be favored over anybody? They are zero and four. They're off to their worst start since nineteen seventy four. Uh, last week they, they came close at the end against Louisville, but they were down thirty one to seven in that game. And then I look at Syracuse, and I think everybody kind of wrote off Syracuse before the season. They're like, oh, Dino Babers is going to get fired, and they're not any good. That is a scrappy team. All of a sudden, they beat Liberty last week, 24 to 21, uh, almost gave it away in the second half. This is the same Liberty team that last year embarrassed them at home, 38 to 20. And when when you think of the Orange, you don't think that they that they be winning like this or yeah. playing their games like this. So you think wide open offense, throwing it around all the time. They're not. They have a pretty good defense, 10th ranked in the country right now. Uh, Sean Tucker, running back, leads the ACC in rushing, 134 yards a game. You know, Garrett Schrader has, has gone in as the quarterback, but he has not thrown the ball very well. So this is, seems like a completely different Syracuse team than we've talked about in the past. Does the fact that they're winning with running the ball and playing pretty good defense change your mind about Syracuse <laughs> going on the road in the game against Florida State where I have no idea what to expect other than it's probably going to be pretty bad? Yeah, um, I, Syracuse on defense has been really impressive, and that does help me it does help my confidence in them liberty's a good team with a real talent i mean like that's a legitimately talented team with a quarterback that people are talking about being a first round pick right and he did not look at he looked at in spots which first round picks tend to do but he did not he did not look at consistently against syracuse so so you got to give a lot of credit to tony white and there were signs that their defense was going this way last year they played pretty well in stretches uh, a year ago. So so I think that is something that is sustainable and legitimate. Offensively, uh, they've got one of the best, if not the best running back in the league. Sean Tucker is fantastic, and he's improved from a year ago. I think he's gotten better with his patience, his reads, he's catching the ball out of the backfield. I think he's excellent. So it, it, uh, they have to get something going in the pass game. You can't have what they have last week, like 70-something yards passing. It was, Trader it was, at 77 passing on six for 15. I right. Mean, that's not going to get it done. He ran for two touchdowns, but you've got to throw it yeah. better than that to win. it. They're the going to have to throw it better than that. Correct. So I, I don't know what their ceiling is. I, I would imagine, you know, it's let's see, they're three and one with eight games to go. Their, their ceiling's probably seven, I would guess, just because I don't think they're going to throw it well enough. And that defense, I, I am I am not going to buy in all the way on that defense yet. I got to see it against another team that's got the talent of Liberty. You know, Rutgers is content to play in a phone booth, and they gave up seventy point seventeen points against them. So, uh, so we'll see. I, I don't I don't think that they should be an underdog on the road though, going to Florida State at this point. Who? Has not figured out the quarterback position. McKenzie Milton had to play last week. Uh, McKenzie Milton, by the way, is the lowest-rated qualifying quarterback in the conference in QBR right now. 
Um, they they have two excellent running backs. Jay Sean Corbin leads the ACC in yards per carry, and they don't run him enough. Like, run the ball more. Trayshawn Ward's fantastic, too. Run the ball. That's what Florida State needs to be. I'm not sure if they're going to do it. Um, and then defensively, they're all over the place. But but I, I think Syracuse would be a slight, and I mean really slight, favorite in my mind, or at least it's a, it's a pick-em game. One last game I just want to touch real quick. You've been uh, great with your time with me here today. Duke at UNC. UNC is an 18-point yep. favorite in this game. Uh, feels like the Tar Heels are a different team at home. Uh, just the last two seasons, uh, you, you see them last year go to UVA, lay an egg down at Florida State. This year, they've lost at Virginia Tech, uh, go down to Georgia Tech and lose. But when they're at home, they seem like they're just sort of on point. Uh, can North Carolina turn this around and be the team we still think they can be? Uh, even with two losses in the ACC so far? Uh, no, probably not. Um, just because th- they don't have the consistency of play across the board, especially from the skill positions that you expect in them to. And I don't think the offensive line is as good as, as, as even they were last year at times. They really struggled picking up all the stunts and blitzes that Georgia Tech did, which, which is hard to do. Like It's hard to pick those up. But if you're going to put the ball in the air as much as they do, you're going to have to do it at times. So they miss Michael Carter and Javante Williams. They miss the consistency of Daz Newsome and De'Ami Brown. And maybe they miss those guys from a leadership perspective off the field more because the coaches would rave about how good a practice players those two running backs were. Michael Carter was a great practice player. Javante Williams, a great practice player. Um and it sounds like they don't have that on offense right now. They don't have that person that's going to set the tone. So I don't think the ceiling for North Carolina is as high as we thought it was. Duke, on the other hand, has been playing pretty well, at least offensively. Defense has given up some some points and some plays. But offensively, they have played pretty well. So it's at home. I think you have to like North Carolina. But Duke's better than we thought they were going to be, too. If ever there was a coastal division thing, the team that starts 0-2 in September coming back to win it seems like oh, that, that? that's what happens in this division. So yeah. I would not rule anybody out. Uh, I think it'll be a very interesting thing to watch going forward. Roddy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Everybody go follow him on Twitter at Roddy Jones 20. Uh, watch him on the ACC network all the time. He's going to be all over the, your TV this weekend doing all sorts of games. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure, Andy. Thanks for having me on. All right, that's going to do it for the show, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, please go rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And also go subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, we like your subscriptions. You can listen to this podcast ad-free. Go to theathletic.com slash pod. You can get 50% off there. We have a great deal going right now. That gets you everything on the site. So go check that out right now. Follow me on Twitter. I'll have an off week this weekend, but I might tweet some things anyway about the ACC. I'm at Andy Bitter VT. We'll watch the ACC games. We'll come back. We'll do it all again next week. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.